0: Thank you, Ryan. It's it's a huge privilege to be here. Um, One of the the downsides of being on the board and living at a distance is we really don't get the kind of interaction with the students that would be great. So I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you this morning. And and, uh, I do want to go to God's Word this morning and share some things that maybe I come with a little bit of trepidation with all you Bible scholars um, in the fact that some of the things I'm going to share are pretty simple today. I hope, maybe arranged in a way that will give you a a way of thinking or refresh some things. So, as Danny asked me to to speak this morning, I was clear back, I think it was in the summer sometime. I said you were having a theme through the semester of what is the gospel? And so, uh, my mind started thinking. Through that idea of what what is the gospel? And you've heard quite a few messages. I've tried to keep up with those online to see where the previous speakers have, have taken you. And so you've heard a lot about that question, what is the gospel or, or what is not the gospel, right? And so I want to take maybe a little bit different uh, take on that question. Uh, typically, we hear that, that question we ask well how is it that you get this salvation from jesus that's what we answer when somebody says what is it the gospel but the word gospel means what good news so what what is good about the good news what is it that makes this news so good And i think we often sh- uh, sell that idea of the goodness of that news short Now, I'm I'm thinking you could probably all sit down with someone and share what you've been told the gospel is. And and you'd be totally right. And you'd probably start with, we have a great need, right? You have to start the good news by helping people understand the bad news. We're born sinners, right? Um, We've done what is wrong in the sight of God. Romans 3.23, of course, says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The penalty for sin is great because it's against a totally holy and righteous God. You could all probably quote Romans 6.23, right? Which tells us the wages of sin is death. And Romans 1.18 points out that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. So the wrath of God, that is what we deserve, what we should bear. And so it's not just to die physically, right? It's that eternal death that we hear about in the lake of fire. And if you want a preview, study the book of Revelation, right? If that's the wrath of God being poured out on the world, we are in terrible shape as sinners. We deserve the wrath of God. The bad news is very bad, isn't it? The good news, right, is that Jesus paid for our sins. Romans 5 verses 6-9. through 9. You can <clears throat> turn there if you've got your Bibles. Romans 5 verses 6-9 through 9 tells us this. And again, maybe this is, these are verses you could quote from, by heart. It says, For while we were still helpless. That's us, right? If you hear the bad news, you know, here I am. I can't fix this. Right? At the right time, Christ died for the deserving? No. The ungodly for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from what the wrath of God through Him. So Jesus inserted Himself between us and that wrath of God that we deserved, right? Bore it on himself while we were undeserving, while we were still in sin, while we were still rebelling against him, right? Took it all on himself. That's good news, isn't it? I don't want the wrath of God pouring down on me. I don't want eternal death. And so God has prepared a way through Jesus Christ. And of course, you could all quote John 3, 16, right? How does that... that, Thing that Jesus did become mine. But for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Right? Those who, what? Believe. Those who entrust themselves to Jesus then have what He did in their place credited to their account. It's because He unites them with Himself. Himself. So that the one who believes in him becomes one with the one who died. Then the death that he died becomes your death, right? It's through that union with Christ. Then we get the benefit of having our sins paid. But also because he didn't just die, he what? He rose from the dead, right? To a brand new life. We are one with him in that new life. It's ours because we have been united with him. This new, unending life belongs to the one who entrusts himself to Jesus. And that is at the beginning of the good news. Oftentimes when when we hear the gospel presented, that's where it stops, right? That's it. Just believe in Jesus. You can have your sins forgiven. And you're golden. You're good, right? No more eternal death. But I would would like to challenge you this morning that the good news is even better, even fuller, even richer than we sometimes communicate. See, because Jesus doesn't save us and just leave us there. Kind of like if you're going through a swamp, you know, someone's sinking down in the quicksand. They can't get out. You know what their end is going to be, right? They're going down. You could pull them up out of, the, out of the quicksand, right? Jesus doesn't just leave us in the shallow quicksand, you know, where you go down and then, then it's solid for a while. He could pull us up out of our sin and save us out of that. But he doesn't just set us there and say, well, I know you kind of have a good time in the quicksand, so I'll be back for you, and I'm going to take you someplace really great. But in the meantime, you know, you're, you're good here. You won't sink all the way down in the quicksand if you go too far. You're good. No, Jesus does far more than that, doesn't he? He doesn't just leave us sitting, huh, oh, wonder when Jesus is coming back. It's kind of been okay playing in the quicksand, and I've had some fun. But where's the good stuff come? Where is that? The early church understood this. When Peter explained to the church leaders in Jerusalem how the Gentiles had believed that their response was, when they got it, they said, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to what? Life. The repentance that leads to life. Not just existing. Not just hanging on until Jesus comes to get us. But the good news is Jesus has come to save us into life. Good news is far better than just you don't have to go to hell anymore. We become something brand new. I'm just going to list several things that I think deepen the idea of what's so good about the good news. Uh, if If you've got your Bibles, go to Ephesians 4. Uh, Verses 17 through 24. There it says, This I say, therefore, and affirm to you together with the Lord, that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being deadened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. That's us before Christ. When he says Gentiles, of course, that's just his shorthand for unbelievers. Look at how we were. Not just headed for hell, right? First of all, we realize that in fact our the bad news is far more pervasive than we ever knew. It went to, to more parts of our life more thoroughly than we ever dreamed. Being sinners, Paul tells us here, totally warped our perspective and hardened us. We no longer saw life the right way. And we resisted. We resisted the truth and grace. It caused us to give ourselves over to pleasing our desires. That's what we began to live for. Our worship took on the form of what will please me? I will do that. That will become my worship. That's who we are without Christ. The only solution to this was to be totally made over. And that's where Paul takes us then from there. It says, verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. There's some good news. I can take that person who is just totally self-centered and set it aside. In my mind, say this is no longer my identity, right? It's being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceits and that you... Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. See that the person you become after you entrust yourself to Jesus is totally remade in the image of God. In a sense, it's like going back to Eden, but better. Because now you've been recreated in the image of God, having the sin taken away right no longer have the penalty of sin within you is the holy spirit you have become a whole new creation and paul of course goes on from there and tells you what this means what kind of ideas and practices you put off and then what kind you put on as your new identity right that is amazing good news if jesus had just pulled us up and said you're no longer going to hell but left us as that old man? Oh, how terrible. Sadly, many believers still live that way. That's why Paul had to write this section. He says, take that off. Set it aside. It's not your identity, it's not who you are anymore. Another thing that's so good about the good news well, let's just stop and think about our own culture. You know, the mix that we live in. We live in America. And in American Christianity, we've worked really hard to make the gospel apply specifically and personally to each individual, haven't we? We take John 3.16, right? For God so loved, and put your name in there, for God so loved William or Susan or John that he gave his only begotten son. And we, we make it super personal, Right? Because we want each person to know you are a sinner. You need to be saved. And you need to make that choice to entrust yourself to Jesus. And that is absolutely true. And that is right. And there's so much good in that. But I believe we've lost the bigger picture. And created self-centered disciples as well. Because we get too far down that road. Because the focus when I... Come to Jesus to forgive me of my sins and give me new life is what? Me. It's all about me. Jesus died for me. You know, and we hear, if you were the only person on earth, Jesus still would have died for you. And so much of that focus is, it's about you. It's about you. And it is about you. Jesus loves you as an individual deeply. It is an individual decision. However, Interestingly, when Jesus came and began to preach on, on earth, he became preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He came preaching the good news of the kingdom. Now, some might say, well, of course he did. He was, he was preaching to, to Jews, right? And God promised the Jews a kingdom, and you're absolutely right. He did. And he will fulfill that. And he will give a literal kingdom to Israel. But it's a lot bigger than that. Because in, in Matthew 24:14, Jesus talks about the gospel of the kingdom. If you want to turn over there. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said this, And this gospel of the kingdom, this good news, the kingdom is coming, I'm the king, shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations or all the different peoples. And then the end shall come. See, the idea of the gospel of the kingdom, that Jesus is coming to be king over this whole earth, is a message for the whole earth, and it is the good news. It's not just that you will be saved from your sin and you will receive these blessings, but you are a part of something so much bigger than yourself. Jesus will rule over the whole world in a kingdom that never ends. Isn't that good news? The more I watch the world and look at what's happening in a world dominated by sin, I say, yeah, that is good news. And it's not new news either. You can go back to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And here in a vision that Daniel's having, here are the things that he says about this kingdom. Daniel 7, 13 and 14 says, I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations and men of every language might serve him His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So remember, Daniel's been learning about all these kingdoms, actually, that are coming in the future, right? He's had vision of 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 a huge statue that represented the major world empires coming. He's saying, no, there's one coming. It's not going to be replaced by another one. But in fact, it will go on. It will... Go over every single tribe and tongue, nation, everyone. That is good news, that you are a part of something that big, that amazing, that incredible. In fact, uh, this last week, we have a Bible study. Um, This group's been meeting for many, many years. We're going through the book of of Revelation. And it's a humbling thing to go through the book of Revelation because you, you do realize what the wrath of God is. But also, in chapter 11, verses 15 through 17, as all of the judgments are kind of ramping up, and we're getting ready to head into the last phase of those judgments, we've got this break in that kind of action. And and as the seventh trumpet is sounded, verse 15, and the seventh angel sounded, and there arose loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Here is what heaven is rejoicing about, looking at something actually that hasn't happened yet. It hasn't been completed, but the language that's used there speaks of it as though it's already completed. It's one of those cool Greek tenses that some of you maybe were learning about in your Greek classes. But it's so certain, you speak of it as though it's already happened. And then it says, and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God. And I believe those 24 elders represent the church, raptured and, and, and seated in heaven. So you could say this is us, present before God, saying what? We give thanks to the O Lord God, Almighty, who art, And who was, because thou hast taken thy great power and hast begun to reign. Do you see where we're headed? The good news is we will be celebrating, worshiping before Jesus on our faces saying, it's finally here, your reign, it's here. Oh, it hasn't completely come into place at that point. But again, it's spoken of as something as certain as though it was already completed. We are part of something that is so much bigger than us. To understand the good news, that the satisfaction of not just, oh, I've got this salvation in my pocket, so I'm good through this life. No, no, you are saved not just from sin and from its penalty, but you are saved to. Being a new creation. You were saved to being part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom that Jesus is going to reign in. That's the kind of future you have. That is not just good news. That's great news. But not just anyone in that kingdom. Because in Jesus we become ambassadors for his kingdom. Uh, Go with me to 2 Corinthians 5.17 please. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Again, these are familiar verses. Maybe quotable by quoted by some of you, right? Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. There we have that re-emphasis, right? You're in Christ, you've been joined to him, you become a totally remade person. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we don't just receive a pardon again to carry around in our pocket with us until we die and then go to heaven. But we are given a key role in Jesus' kingdom. You're not just one of the ones in the crowd, although everyone who is in Christ gets this role, but it's an active role. We become one in Christ with Jesus. Therefore, ambassadors to show others how they too can be brought into a right relationship with God through Jesus with forgiven sins, new life, and being a part of this great thing that God is doing and bringing us into his kingdom. Now, in that, there's a a, a life of meaning and satisfaction that comes from being part of a much bigger purpose. The good news is that we've been saved to a role in the plan of God where we're so closely connected with His heart to save sinful people. It's not as though we're out at the distance, But we're right close to his heart, doing the very thing that he's doing. We've become his voice, saying, beg of you, come back to God, be reconciled through this way that he has made, not just so that you won't die, but so you can have this close, intimate relationship with the God of the universe and join him in this huge thing that he is doing and is accomplishing. That is good news. In our sin, we could have never dreamt of such an amazing thing, that it would be ours. But not only that, the good news is is that we have been saved, not just to that role, but but to become a holy people of God. Uh, Go to Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. Once again, I'm just putting together passages you probably know very well. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. Now, in the first 10 verses of, of Titus 2, he's been talking to all kinds of people. He talks to old men and young men, old women, young women, and to servants or slaves. He basically tries to hit all the different groups of possible people. <clears throat> and then he says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men or all people there, instructing us to Deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. And here, I want you to especially focus on this last bit, and purify for himself. A people for his own possession. Zealous for good deeds. So all these people of different categories saved to this whole new quality of life. It's a life that looks to an ultimate fulfillment. And the return of who? Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So so we have a long-term, oh, we're looking for that event, right? But in the meantime... We have become, he says, the special private possession of God himself. And he changes us so much that we're not just willing to do what is right and good, but he is changing us into being zealots for doing good, right? He said, a people who are zealous for good deeds. Who's zealous? Well, zealots are. Jesus is working to make you into a zealot where you are obsessed with doing good things. That's his goal, a transformation that grows over time into an obsession to do the best things, which he here describes as good works. That's amazingly great news. Because we haven't and maybe we aren't obsessed with doing good deeds, are we? But we are saved. The good news is we are saved Moving to that place to be made into not just an individual who is zealous for good deeds, but he says God's own special people who are zealots, who are obsessed with doing good deeds. Once we grudgingly did what we knew was best. Now we're in a process of maturing and getting the truth that those things are more than dreary requirements. They are the stuff that abundant life produces. They are the stuff that abundant life is made up of. And again, connecting that idea that we are not just individuals. The good news isn't just that you alone are saved by yourself, but we are saved to be part of a body, part of a community, part of what Jesus calls his church. And we'll look at Romans 12, 4 and 5 for that. Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. Paul says, for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In other words, there's an organic connection between all believers together. I hope that's not news to you. That's probably old stuff. And yet stop and think, that isn't that amazingly good news, especially in the world in which we live, where families are fractured, where our whole nation is divided into, into different camps as far as what people believe. Jesus has, has drawn us into something where he says, "Oh, you're not just an association. You're not just here because you have similar thoughts." but you are organically combined to one another in a complementary way where the strengths of this one, and that, as the passage goes on, I'm sure you're familiar with the giftings and things that God gives, where you blend together to make one organic whole. That is good news too. Jesus has a great gift for us in making us a part of what he calls his body. And when we enter into it, it's like he intends, or the way, in the way that we, he intends, we find our true belonging, our true fulfillment our, and fellowship, and much more as we complement each other accomplishing what Jesus, the head of the body, directs. That's good news, and it hits to the heart of our true longings as people, doesn't it? We want to have a place where we belong where we mesh together with others to form a team, to accomplish a similar end. Far from an independent, I am saved, the good news is that you were saved to truly belong to and experience transformational power as you learn to live a life that reflects the reality that is now yours. And you're saying, oh, I've been in the church doesn't, doesn't hit my true longings. I run in head-to-head with people who, who aren't like me. Now, there is going to be a struggle in being a part of the church. You'll be challenged to the heart of your being as you seek to love those who are in, your, in, in this body and are different from you and who have come to different conclusions than you have, even in your theology, the things that you believe. But that, too, is part of the good news. It shows Jesus' great love for us. And you're like, you've got to be kidding. He put me with them out of his great love? Absolutely. Because in that process, he squeezes you and sin comes out, right? You know, sometimes you didn't know that sin was in there until you got squeezed by being with those other people in the body. And then you have an opportunity to say, oh, Lord, Look at, look at what was in me that now you will graciously help me to deal with. Look at what was in me that by your power and your grace and goodness, you can work out of me helping make me into that holy person. And we can do it with each other and we can help each other along. That's still all part of the good news that he's put you in that kind of a context to help you become holy. Holy. Um, Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 7, <clears throat> shows the critical nature of living out the oneness that becomes ours in Christ. Ephesians 4, 1 through 7, says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. He spent the last three chapters talking about what that is and how we have come into Christ and been united with him. So here's what we're called to with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. By the way, notice we already have the unity. Our job is to preserve it, to live like we are truly united in Jesus. There is one body. And one spirit, just as you also were called in, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So not only are we to live as though we are truly one, but in fact, notice he gives us the grace that's necessary to live it with others. No matter how different they are than you, no matter how much they don't think like you, you have the grace to preserve the unity of the faith and the bond of peace. So again, I'd just like us to remember the good news. Yes, it's good news that Jesus paid the debt we owe for our sins. It's good news that he has given us the gift of eternal life, life that will never end. But the good good news is not just about you. Jesus died to make you part of something bigger, both in numbers and in time. All the things I've already mentioned show that the good news is far better than just what we are saved from. That's just the beginning. Jesus is doing something that will never end and include people from every tongue and tribe and nation. So I urge you to know that the gospel, the good news, isn't just about avoiding hell. Please don't forget that. It's about all that I've talked about and so much more. You you could probably add to this list many, many, many other items that are, oh, the good news is this. This is what it means to be in Christ. The good news is far greater than we know, but God has revealed so much of it to us in the Bible. So we should all be diving into the goodness of what Jesus gives us in our salvation. Learning about the goodness of life in Christ. It's an an eternal endeavor. So I encourage you as students, as Bible students, make your current studies. Make the current ministry God's given you now. As you look to the future, a working out of the goodness of the good news it an application of that good news. Let's pray. Father, you are good. <laughs> thank you for helping us to just catch a glimpse of how much goodness there is in your gospel, in your good news. We praise you and thank you for that. and Help us to not get stagnant in our view of what what good news we have. Help us not to get narrow in thinking it's only about us. Help us to know that in in your holiness is something far greater than we thought we would ever have or would even want. Lord, grow our understanding of the goodness, of the good news. You are committed to changing us, to making us into that people who are zealous for good works, who are holy, who are seeking after you. And so just commit ourselves now to being that and and just pray that you would give each of us a spirit of cooperation in that process, that we would join you in that. In Jesus' name I pray.